Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan. Um, it's episode 59. We're almost at 60. Hmm? Almost a senior citizen podcast. I almost there. One more episode, and uh I can retire. Pack it in, you know? Get some kind of podcast pension. I don't know where I'd apply for that or how that works, but I'm pretty sure that's the deal. I hope you're well. I hope you're having a good week. And um, I'm uh, recording this in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth today. Today's episode um, is with my good buddy, uh, Mark Critch. I literally just recorded this episode, literally just minutes ago, we finished. Normally I record them far earlier and I do the intros and the outros separately. Um, later down the road, but today it's actually the day of, huh? Can you feel that coming through your speakers, coming through your earbuds, the freshness of this episode and this intro and outro combined, um, beautiful fall day here in Halifax. Luckily this condo, it's got some great window. Um, I guess basically one side of this thing is mostly windows. So I'm seeing the beautiful fall colors here in Atlanta, Canada. I have seen photographs and video of Alberta right now, and I'm not ready for what's going on out there. And I'm not going to see it anyway until March, but it's full on winter out there. It's snow globage. It's basically a Christmas movie out there. Streets packed down with ice, snow on the ground, minus 21 you got to be kidding me. It's October, people. Has this year not been rough enough that we're now going to go, hmm, let's give you a deep freeze starting in mid to late October on top of that. So good luck to you out there in Alberta. And uh, I hope it warms up at some point because no one deserves that after the year we've had. Nobody. Okay. Can we get a fall in first before we... Hey, slap on the old winter tires. Let's let's get straight into it. Summer, barbecuing. Oh, great. Yeah. Shovel the driveway. Here you go. Boom. Back to back. Just not doing fall anymore? Hmm? Well, there's a beautiful fall out here, luckily, and I hope it continues that way. And uh, what have I got going on? What if, What's going on? I did a little show at the old Carlton, a little historic venue here in Halifax. I uh, got asked to jump on a show last week with some great comedians, some writers from the show and um, some other folks. And it was fun. I got to tell you, man, to be back on stage for the first time in probably three, four months. Um, you know, you, you try and figure out what you're going to do. And I'm trying to warm up for the Halifax Comedy Festival, which is coming up uh, this Friday. Got two shows. So I'm trying to figure out what sets I'm going to do for that. I want material, what stuff I've already done. Uh, a festival festival last year. So, um, yeah, trying to get that sort of, but the crowd was great. It's a good little venue for stand-up, actually. And uh, we had a blast. It's it's really great to get back in front of a, a live stand-up audience again and, and uh, feel the laughter. You just wash over you, you know, just like a, like some kind of duvet of just acceptance and, uh, I don't know. It just felt good. It was good to get up there and riff and 
you're always worried when you haven't been on stage, will you have enough time? And I went, I was supposed to do 20 and I think I probably went up over that by a fair bit, but, uh, I was closing it out. So it was okay. But, um, yeah, it's always great to feel that energy again. And, uh, I really, really enjoyed myself up there. So yeah, getting it ready for the old Halifax fest. These things are always taped for TV too. So you gotta be squeaky clean so you're going through your material going okay what one can i do can i change that word to this and these are all the things we have to go through to make sure you guys can laugh at home in the comforts of your living rooms as you are uh receiving this material through the national broadcaster um all right setting up this episode uh as i said sitting down with my good buddy mark critch uh we actually did this one via zoom even though we live in the same building uh, <laughs> we could do it in person. I just like the aspect of having the video of it. So, uh, zoom allows you to do that pretty easily. So, excuse me, we went, uh, went with that option and, uh, it was great. And even though I've known that guy for years and he's a great friend, you know, you learn, you learn stuff about people that you didn't know when you sit down and have an in-depth chat for an hour. So, uh, that was the case with this. And, uh, I think you guys enjoy this. Mark's one of the most talented guys I know, but also one of the hardest working. So I think you're going to get some good nuggets in uh, if you are a creative or if you're interested in that world at all, uh, just about his approach to his work and what he does and uh, his early start and that stuff. So anyway, sit back, enjoy my conversation with my good friend, Mr. Mark Rich. Joined by my buddy uh, Mark Critch, who literally is down the hall. Yeah, as, as you can t- see, if you're a, a sleuth, an armchair detective, you'll see that seems like Trent and I are actually in the same room, but we're not. We're in the same building. I feel like Two, I can touch you three, here. Yeah, yeah, we're we're three apartments away from each other. <laughs> That's how on the same floor. That's how antisocial the world has become that like, hey, you want to do this yeah. in person or mm, probably better off? Yeah, work. it's fine. We clean up each other. <laughs> work together five days a week. You just stay in your condo. I'll stay <laughs> Man, I was thinking about the, uh, the shoot on Friday. I was laughing today. For people listening or watching, we had a shoot, a late night shoot. We don't do too many nighttime shoots and no. stuff outside. And uh, I was thinking about the young fellow who was who kept saying, "Is this?" The-? We had a little a young extra who was about what'd you say, Mark five or six or seven, maybe. You know what? I think he was about uh, yeah, seven or eight. Seven or eight. Seven or eight. Seven or eight. Yeah. I don't have kids, right? So I don't, I don't know. Dave. Yeah, it could be forty-eight. Could be two. Hard <laughs> to tell the difference. I mean, he's bald. I mean, it could be a senior citizen or a newborn. Marty had his own Are kids, you? right? I mean, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I have. No idea, but how we like can, you see someone who's bald, you see a baby, and you're like, I guess we're the same age because we're I both bald. So I just start talking to him about my life, thinking he can relate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just drool. Uh, he's loaded. <laughs> and they were in between takes. They needed him for certain bits and didn't need him for other bits. He's like, "Is this the last one?" Like he just kept saying it loud yeah. and cracking the crew up. But I was like, he's just basically saying what everyone else is thinking the entire time. Yeah, absolutely. Just, Surely like, to God we have it by now. Yeah, <laughs> we must. Is this your first time doing this? That's the way you made everyone feel. Like young kids can do that. <laughs> yeah. You feel like yeah. you're totally inadequate at what you're doing. <laughs> Walking up the steps four or five times. <laughs> he was dressed as a ghost too, so he was—he was not wow. happy. He did a great job, though. He did uh, did an awesome job. Um, 
All right, we. Uh, this is what season is this now for you? Was this, is this eight, your eighteenth year or twenty two? Eighteenth year working there, probably. I think my sixteenth year on camera full time because I started off as a writer, and at the end of that first season, I believe I got to uh, be in a sketch, and I got to go do a road piece. I went to a curling bunch deal. Right, um, that's and, the most uh, Canadian thing. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it went well. And then I think it was the next year that Colin Mockery, who had been on the show, replacing Mercer, his plane got stuck in Vegas and he couldn't get back to tape the show. So they came in, they're kind of like, what size suit are you? And I'm like, why? You're running away. <laughs> and then that was it. I was on the desk. And, and that's how I, how I got on, uh, on the show. Insane. Air Canada. It's, it's because of Air Canada. Air Canada. So have you, did you ever, have you paid homage to Air Canada since? Have you sent an actual thank you, any kind of... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for my career. Here's more of my money. Um, yeah, it depends on what airline desk I'm complaining at. You know, yes. if, if it's WestJet, then I owe WestJet my career. If it's uh, if it's Air Canada, it's Air Canada. It's interchangeable. It was probably a CanJet. It was so long ago. That's right. We're a few airlines away now from that that era. Um, what I liked about because you have your book was out, um, Son of a Critch, which went on to become a national bestseller. Not like coming out of the gate, like oh yes, it's on every shelf around. I went to the bookstore. With you, I remember in the mall. I remember last year, yeah. I walked in, and we're just browsing around. I'm enjoying myself, and you know. And she's, uh, excuse me, Mr. Critch, would you mind set, uh, signing a few of your books? I'm like, oh, he had all this set up ahead of time. <laughs> this is a, oh, yes, it happens to be me. Oh, yes, I happen well, to have a sharpie here in my pocket. It's a Canadian national bestseller. So that's a hundred copies. <laughs> so if you if you get to a hundred copies, then, uh, then she actually and, and said. Then, she actually said, uh, Mr. Critch, your order's here. Your order's <laughs> yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> your hundred books are here. I find that fascinating about books is, you know, there's a hundred different lists, right, uh, that you can get on. But the real ones would be like the Global Mail or the Toronto Star. They have a list. And then there's like, and then so there's a million bestseller lists you can be on. Like, so like what I learned was like, okay, so nonfiction hardcover. That's like real, right? Yeah. But then you can go down there and just subheadings like, Oh, it's a bestseller in political books about hockey. What? It's like there's so many different ways, especially on Amazon. There's a lot of people who are, are um, like Ezra Levant, who's this right wing uh, guy here with Rebel Media. He, he keeps saying, he has, I'm a bestselling author on Amazon. But there's ways to rig it so that you can become a, a bestselling author without having to buy too many copies of your own book. Because right. you, you just put it in these weird headings, right? So if you want to be, you know, uh, cat-based numerology, the best-selling book on that. So you're the only book on that. So Still the best-seller thing is, is uh, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, it's misleading. It's very, 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 very misleading, yeah. <clears throat> what I liked about the book, too, that I really appreciate, because I read a lot of books about people's life and growing up in Newfoundland. But what I liked about yours so much is that it wasn't a traditional upbringing because I related to that as someone who didn't yeah. grow up on a wharf and dad fished. Yeah. And like you, your life was like, you know, just off Camp Mount Road in a field next to a radio station, you know? Like I was yeah. like, that's not everyone's experience. But then within your story of your childhood, there was lots of stuff that was relatable. But I like that it didn't start off in that traditional, that traditional sense, right? That a lot of, you hear so many books about, you know, and father would go out and we didn't know if he was coming back and oh, the, the rain, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the waves were high that day. And it's like, I get that. And so there are some amazing stories in there too, but I, d I like that it didn't start off in a traditional setting, you know? Yeah, it, it was, it's like, I don't think anybody realizes 
they're weird until somebody else points it out to them. Like, you know, I kind of think, I remember going to school thinking, okay, well, this is great. I guess everybody will be like me. And my parents were older. They were in yep. their 50s when they had me. And I see other people's parents, because there weren't any other kids around where I grew up, right? So, like, being in school was kind of like realizing, oh, no, I'm a weirdo. Like, all the other kids, are like, their parents are in their 20s and stuff. And they're like, they're like, oh, it's like, oh, wow, your dad can run. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's, it's fascinating to see that stuff. And then uh, and then we live way out there by this. In, and then you'd see other kids and they're playing. They're living on the same street. And I remember after school going to somebody's house and there were neighbors all along and all the houses were row houses like attached. Yeah. I, I was like, I didn't even know that was an option. Right. I mean, and like, well, there's somebody else on the other side of that wall. Yeah. And they have a kid too. Yeah. So you can go play with that kid whenever you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And then going home like, yeah, what did you do? Like, I didn't know. Like, why wouldn't we live with other people? Like, why are we, why are we the Waltons, you know? Like, in the field up off the road there, yeah. Yeah, the field off the highway next to a radio station with satellite dishes beaming, you know, yeah. whatever future carcinogens I'm going to have in my body. <laughs> you know, there's a satellite dish pointed directly we're, at our house. We're an I experiment can't. up here. We're literally an experiment <laughs> yeah. in a field through uh, Health Canada. Is, is um, I remember the same moments as a child, like going into someone's house and uh, went into my friend Jason Price's house once, and I went in, and I went home to tell my grandparents, I'm like, they got an upstairs. There's oh, like, yeah. there's, it's not all on the one level. Like, there's yeah. the kitchen and dining, and then you can go up a set of stairs, and there's bedrooms upstairs, because we never, yeah. ever had that. Like, the first house yeah, my grandparents was a right? too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Stuff like that was just mind-blowing. But you, again, you think that it's totally normal until you go into someone else's world. We didn't have a car either for us. Well, for, me neither. Right? And then that was the thing, not having a car, because it was kind of like, I'm having a birthday party. Oh, wow. You can come. Great. And then, you, you know, make the journey on all the buses back home. And say, Saturday, I'm going to a birthday party. Where is it? Oh, it's over on Cumberland Crescent. How the hell are you going to get there? Four transfers later. It's like, oh, right. I guess, okay. Can someone take me? In what? Like, you know, the washing machine? No, you're not. You're not going. I'm like, oh. It's like, it's like guess why? I can't why? Go. Yeah. Why? Why didn't you come to the birthday party? Oh, uh, we don't have transportation. Yeah. Like, I remember. Like I couldn't get a bus, right? The bus was three miles away. Yeah. I mean, in Cornerbrook, for many years, there was no city bus at all. So, what I realized also that was amazing was that anything that I had to do or attend, whether it was a practice for something or whatever, I had to tack on 60 minutes yeah. to that either way. Like it was like, oh, it practices at two. You have to leave here at one o'clock. <laughs> it rains, yeah, yeah, snow, yeah. whatever it was. Other people were like, 20 to one, I must get in the car here now and blow over <laughs> practice. I'm like, hat mitts. Anyway, I'm going out the door here now. And you'd be like, just, you know, it was a workout just to get there. And you realize like, well, yeah, life would be easier if there was some type of uh, cab drivers knew my grandmother by name. She'd show up. Oh, like, we, oh. we were very close to ball cabs. And I remember if it was on check day and there was no money in the house, dad knew a guy named Mike at OK Taxi, which was on Water Street. Mm -hmm. And um, he would come up from Water Street to pick dad up all the way up, miles and miles and miles away to bring dad down to the bank because Mike would take a check 
as a cab driver. <laughs> and I remember this, this poor guy getting a call. It's like, ah, my cat, my Christian broke again. He needs you to come get him. So I love him. God. And, uh, and the other thing I remember too, like being at the house of people who cooked like with fresh things. And remember I, I was dating this girl, Kathleen in high school and her family was Italian and going over there and they're like fresh salad and they're making pasta and they're making sauce right and, and they're like it's like a, it's like a, it's like a tv family right the house is big they're all together they sit at a table together and eat and yeah. talk about their day the television is not the radio is not uh nobody's eating on the couch you know and i'm like <laughs> Oh my God, no, oh, oh my God. And that's the first time I had flavor, really. You know, like right. the first time I experienced like, oh, you, uh, what's in the sauce? Just tomatoes. No, no, there's other things, oregano. <laughs> what would that be, I wonder? And it's just like a wild, feral child came out of the woods, you know, and they're going to tempt into the living room with a piece of meat. It, it was bizarre. Yeah, it, it is. You're right. It's so weird once you leave your own little bubble and realize that, uh, oh, not everyone lives like this. And I am very different than everyone else. Um, the fascinating thing, too, but the book for me, too, was that, you know, your father was a newsman. And just the irony of the fact that you come full circle to now be on a fake news show. <laughs> yeah. I've even watched how you make comedy in terms of how you write sketches and how your mind works. You look at it through the lens of a newsman. Like, I've realized that about you. Like, you kind of look at it in terms of the past history of this person that you're talking about. You're connecting dots of things that have happened in the past to now make a bigger narrative like like newsmen used to do in the day, you know? Yeah. And, like, that's how you kind of approach – would you agree with that? That you kind of, that's how you kind of approach comedy going oh, forward, the sketches in particular? Very much so. I mean, we always talk about, you know – we didn't realize you are talking about politics at the time. But growing up in the house, there's always, like, current events and newsmakers and stuff. Kirk Dad was this news guy. And, but I remember dad at the every, every day, dad would come home from work while supper was boiling. Uh, only ever boiling. <laughs> That's right. Uh, boiling the flavor right out of it. Bubble, 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 bubble. All the windows are. Steve. <laughs> Can't see out the window. Supper's ready. And uh, dad would lie in the bed with the newspaper behind it. Go like, I need this here. Flip. And if something caught his eye that he thought he could use later or that he needed to know, with no internet, you'd take a pair of scissors, these big scissors, go snip, 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 and you'd see him go snip, 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 snip. And he'd put that and put those in envelopes, and they'd be stacked on a uh, trunk. Then he would take them to work or keep them there. And if there was something on the go, he'd go, well, what did he say last time? He'd start rummaging around, looking for old yellow clippings. And the house was always full of clippings. And then when I started on 22 Minutes, there's no there's no internet in the writer's room or anything. Right. So. I would get newspapers and be stacks of papers, right? You go through them, and then I would start keeping files on, okay, correction, okay, this is going out finance, okay. And I, I, just like that, I would make all these clippings and keep them in these envelopes. And uh, it is the same way. And nowadays, a lot of people, I guess, with something's on the go, so you Google it, and you Google it a bit more. And I think the best things, the best pieces um, are for comedy sometimes are when you, you don't really have to go Googling to kind of come up with an opinion. You already have one because you right. know what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, oh, no, he's, he's full of it. Two weeks ago, he said this. And then so you can form opinions. And I think that comes with, you know, just being on top of stuff and, and keeping abreast of what's going on. <clears throat> yeah, and you also have a genuine interest in it. Like, it's not something... Yeah. 
forced upon you, right? Like this is something that you would read normally. I, I think if you weren't even on the show, clearly you'd be, you'd have an interest in what is happening oh, yeah. with the country and what's going on, right? Um, so you don't have to do a bunch of back research to go like, and who is no. that fella again? And yeah, yeah. you know, no, it's the blood. That's why you're brought up talking about it. And before I did the show, I used to do like commentaries and stuff for CBC and write a column and stuff like that about all that kind of stuff. It's so comedy, but it was all topical stuff. So yeah. it was a kind of ready to write for the show when I came. Yeah, the mindset was already there. The other thing about in the book too that I thought was fascinating, and it it, it was it jarred a memory for me that I kind of had tucked away for a long period of time. That you know you'd almost drowned right as mm-hmm. a young child, and I it brought me back to my experience of roughly like almost drowning at like fourteen or fifteen in at a soccer tournament in like New Brunswick somewhere when I was young. Wow! And you're like, my God, my friend at the time, Aaron Pittman, was in a hotel pool. And uh, I was out and I couldn't swim and I ended up drifting off into the deep end or whatever, farting around and I got a cramp in my leg. And so I couldn't even like keep myself above. And I happened to be close enough to the edge of the pool. I'll never forget this. He looked me right in the eyes. He's standing on the deck of the pool. He looks me right in the eyes and he goes, do you need help? And it was almost like it was in slow motion. And I was like literally taking in water and he reached out his hand and luckily I could reach it and he hauled me in. Cause it was just kids going mad in this pool, you know? Yeah. And I went, it could have been all over right there, sir. That would have been, oh, it. Yeah. you know, like, and I think it does change you. I think after, even though you're young, I think you do have a realization really quick of like, whoa, that was what happened there. You know, do you think it changed you at any point at that age? Do you recall? Well, I mean, I know you're young at the time, but. First time it happened to me, I was like, or something, and uh, and and that's my first kind of memory. While I was off talking, and I kind of I'd never been around water before like that, so I just thought you could walk into it, and kind of keep yeah, going, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, I and I almost drowned, so they came and got me. But later, um, I guess I was in grade nine, and I was at a, at a pool um, with some friends, and I couldn't swim. Someone was trying to teach me how to swim. And, but people thought because you're kind of funny or you're joking around, they think you're joking around, right? So I was like, oh, no, 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 don't leave me. And, they're like, and I'm splashing around and they arrow take off. And I'm in the middle of the pool of drowning. They go, ha, 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 look at Mark, he's so funny. And I'm like, oh, God, no. I'm going to throw him to hell, help. And then somebody threw a, uh, a one of those paddle boards yep. at me, but it got me right in the nose and knocked out my last little breath. And I went down in the <sighs> sink. I was on the bottom looking up. And. I remember it's like it's like pain, and then no pain, and then a kind of real peaceful feeling, and things started to get like there was no light or anything, but things kind of like a golden kind of hue for some reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember thinking like, oh, it's okay, all right, well, young, go back to mom and dad, but I had a good life, like I was happy. I remember thinking like that, like it's okay, and then right. somebody jumped in to get me. And I was, I remember fight, trying to fight off because I was like, if I had a bit of a buzz going on, I guess. Yeah. And and then it kind of everything's hazy until I remember like coughing up water and like real bad burning pain, like you know. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, what did you do that for? I was fine. Right. So I think it, you know, it it was interesting that one thing I kind of took away from that is I certainly don't fear death. And I've been around two different people when they pass and instead of like something else takes over i think your body has 
some kind of a safety mechanism to kind of protect you in that moment. It's almost like, you know, your brain is kind of like, we're going? All right. It was a pleasure serving with you all. Release all endorphins. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like that kind of a thing. It's like yeah. everything you got, go. Yeah. And uh, uh, anyway, yeah, so that was kind of what I, what I took away from that. I, 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 think it, I think it's interesting that I would be thinking, oh, well, it wasn't bad. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. Think, think about because now if you told me you're gonna die, I'll be like, <clears throat> oh, that's not good. Yeah, I got but stuff in the moment. Too. You're like, well, it happens. So. Yeah, it, it's it's a it is a weird thing, and I had you know people in my life obviously that died. My grandmother, grandfather raised me and stuff, and like so that was that concept of death introduced to me at a fairly early age, that concept of, Oh, people go away or things can change drastically. Like you don't live in this house anymore. You live in this house now, like real seismic movement. And I think that shapes you as an adult, as you get older, I think you, you get, and maybe it, it kind of wires you for a life in entertainment. It wires you for stuff changes, stuff goes away. This is here. It's temporary. It's all temporary. And so nothing becomes permanent. You don't expect things to be permanent, you know? So I think that's how it kind of affected me going forward. Well, two of us were both raised by older folks. And, you know, you grow up. I remember going to more wakes than birthday parties when I was a kid. Right. Like you'd go, it was kind of a social thing, you know, they bring you along. Yeah. Like you're there, you're sitting there talking to people, and, you know, you're like, you know, 11 years old going, my God, yes. And how are you? Are you all right? Have a small sandwich. Well, you know what? He, he went quick. And that's a blessing, isn't it? Um, and how are you? Are you well? Do you still have diabetes, Joe? And it's like, you know, you, you become this old soul. You know, right. I'd be hanging yeah. out with these old people. Yeah. And I'd be like, my God, not like years ago. Years ago now, this would have been a day. They wouldn't have had it in that casket. My God. You know, and, and you become this 80-year-old person. And then you're around these other kids, you know, like, you know, everybody's in sneakers and I'm wearing hush puppies. <laughs> a sensible, uh, a sensible, you know, jacket. You know, it's like, you know, like kids would always be like, I don't want to wear a jacket in winter. I want to be cool. And I'd be like, yeah, this is a nice down one. Now we got the Sears on layaway. You know, I'd be, you know, completely boots. You're wearing sneakers? No, I got these galoshes here now. Keep the feet dry. <laughs> Yeah, you know. And I'm like, oh God, wouldn't want to slip on the ice. My God, if anything happens to my head, it's like, Mark, you're 12. You're 12. <laughs> yeah, but that was me, you know? And, yeah. and, and still is in many ways. <clears throat> yeah, you get that old person wiring, right? And um, and it settles in. Like, I remember um, in my household, it was like worry was just. It was just—it was just like almost like a, a music on the radio that would be playing in the background, like worry, constant worry, constant, yeah. constant worry about the weather, worry about money, worry about those shingles blowing off the roof, worry about not being able yeah, to step shovel. Things are never going to happen, you know. Yes. Kind of like you know. <laughs> we're looking at that tree out there. Oh, a beautiful tree out there, isn't it? Out against much bigger. <laughs> If that, if that doubles in size, good wind takes that now a day. If that gets rotten, that can calm down. That can hit that oil tank. We'd all be dead. <laughs> it's nowhere near the house. It's like, well, I don't mean now. Not, well, you know, 20 years from now, I mean, should we do something about it, do you think? I mean, what can you do? Like, you know, going to have a little worry now. You guys go, you guys watch your show. I'm going to go outside and have a quick worry, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later on. Well, that's the way it was, these ridiculous things, you know? <clears throat> yeah, and you get, that's funny too, because I've realized that you spend more time thinking about how you were raised and stuff, and I realized a lot of that stuff was passed on to me. So it's now, as I get older, trying to unwire 
all of that hard wiring of like just worrying needlessly about things that don't require. And in my family, I'm the least of the worriers. Like I, from a scale yeah. of one to 10, I'm at a two. Whereas I have, I have family members who are like, it's constant. If they won the lottery and it was five million, it's like, hmm, it was one number off 10. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be like oh, no, just in, what? In my, in my family, like you won the lottery, you won 10 million. Oh God, everybody's gonna want a piece of that now, aren't they? They're all gonna start calling up now and looking for that. Oh my God! So I had to think, you know, that would be the things like, who's gonna, who's calling now? There, there might be someone looking for money, not someone trying to give you money, Dad. My God, how much do they want? They're giving it to me. Yes, yes. So I'll have to give them back half. What? You know, it's like always. Yeah, no joy, and all joy is short-lived. Joy is very, you know, just for the moment, and then well. I'd say there's a catch to that now. I'd say I wouldn't spend that now. I'd say there's a catch to that. I'd say I wouldn't. Well, don't worry. You know, be like you know, congratulations on graduating high school, son. It's a wonderful uh, ceremony, wasn't it? Now, how are we going to get home out of here? You know, like it would be like this <laughs> whatever happens is always going to be this insurmountable, yeah, another problem, possibility, another problem. <laughs> but right away, it's like, oh, we have we got that good over with because I'm trying to get this problem going on over here now. I'm trying to get this started. Yeah. Help me with this problem. I'm having trouble getting started. <laughs> the new car you just bought, like, yes, no, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. I'll get a dad wash <laughs> that, I suppose. Like, it doesn't yeah. end. It just doesn't end. Um, <clears throat> when you were, because we get this question quite often. If we were, if you and I were doing a separate interview, we're on a radio station or yeah. someone's talking to us, the question we often get is like, you know, when did you know you were funny, right? Like people, they, people love to ask that question. And I get it. It's an interesting answer to those things, but... I always look at like comedy for me and sense of humor in general was just something like used to organically developed, I think as a defense mechanism in general to yeah. kind of control a situation or to net or to kind of fit in. Um, it, it made you acceptable suddenly. Like, so if you're on the outside looking in, if you could make people laugh, suddenly you got access. Suddenly you could be in the cool group for a little while anyway, while you were making them laugh. Was that your relationship with it too? Were you kind of like, oh, this is my superpower. This is my cape I can put on to to keep everything else at bay. Like, what is your what, what is your relationship with your humor? You know, well, I remember my first laugh was in grade five, uh, kindergarten at the age of five. I've been selected to uh, start off the school assembly went to the kindergarten to perform for the parents. Right. And so I start off with the, the line was supposed to be Archbishop, Bishop, fathers, brothers, sisters, teachers, lay people, uh, and children. Welcome. And pupils. Welcome. But I didn't know what a pupil was, so I, I kept saying poop pills. And whenever I said poop pills, I got this laugh from the audience. I said poop pills. I'd say it again. I said, and a nun came out and grabbed me and called me out. And I didn't know what was going on. So I'm like, I heard that laugh and I'm like, that, that felt great. Yeah. And I think that's when in that moment I was kind of, that's, I think I'm probably, that was the high I was chasing my whole life with blue pills. Right. Um, but then on the playground, you know, or like being obviously different, right. Yeah. And obviously weird. And you have your little group of friends. We'd also be picked on by people. I remember being like pushed up by some guy who's picking on me and whatever. And uh, was going to hit me against a chain link fence at St. Teresa's. And I started making fun of Mr. Dunn, who was the vice principal who was walking around. He just bought a suede jacket. And I was like, there's a buddy over there in the coast, you know, like doing, did an impression of him and something like that. I was like, <laughs> that's pretty funny. 
you're, we're, do it again, do it again, do it again, nerd. And I'd be like, okay, let me do this. I'd be like, oh, boy, I tell you, what, recess? Come on, what are you talking about? And, like, you know, you're doing bits. And like, what kind of chips you got? Oh, look at this guy. Over. Look at Rockefeller with the ketchup chips. You know, like, you're, you're trying. And, oh, and you're doing this material as a defense mechanism. Yeah. And then you're kind of, like, allowed to – and then you're – now you have a role. <clears throat> oh, that guy's funny. Oh, he's, he's, he's funny. He's a funny guy. Right. And then you lean into that. You try and keep that going. Um, and create a new it's reinvention, I guess, at a certain point, you know, uh, and yep. out, of, out of necessity. And it's like a turtle shell or something. Yeah, something to hide in when you're being attacked by predators. And then that just becomes kind of a way of looking at the world. Yeah, I realized too. What I found amazing with it was that now kids who are older than you were giving you positive attention. Like, you know, amongst your own peer group, it wasn't so bad usually, but it was the older kids who were either going to like, is either going to be a good experience or it's going to be a very bad experience. If we engage with you, it's going one of two ways. There's going to be no in between. It's going to be either we're taking, we're going to push you off your bike, ride your bike into that yeah. room, or you're going to make him laugh and go, oh, he's, he's wicked. He's, oh, he's good, you know? But like, yeah. you're right. It was almost like you had to pass this test Upon every time walking by a group of older kids, it was like, okay, here we here we go. I hope I make the right choice here today, or it's going to be bad consequences, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's like you kind of stood out a bit for me too. The dad being on the radio, like that was an unusual thing, right? And people yep. would hear dad on the radio and stuff like that. Sometimes because you're, in, I guess, in media, people thought we were kind of rich or something, right? Because right. like you know, I came on school bus, nobody ever saw my house. Right. He knew where I lived. So it's like, I guess people said, well, he must be rich. His father must be on the radio. His father's on the radio. So was absolutely not. He didn't even care. But uh, yeah. um, so then that makes you kind of like, people might get a little bit, you know, they're, they're jealous and want to pick on you based on some perception they've made up in their mind without ever having spoken to you. Or anything. It's like, you know, yeah. no, you're picking on me for the wrong reasons. You don't know. Stop hitting me. You're, no, you're, you're misunderstood. Here's my, my bus pass. Here's my yeah. bus pass. <laughs> that doesn't make very much at all. Actually, if you look, especially now, perhaps if he was with NTV or another outlet, he'd do better. But he lacks the courage to try and threaten to me. It's like, you know, it's like. <laughs> you had a copy of it. You had a copy of his T4. You just carried around. Yeah, yeah, please, read please, read just refer to this. Yeah. And, uh, and then at the time, you know, I was going to school, there was this, you know, there's this kind of this big scandal where a guy dad worked with had been charged with uh, sexually uh, interfering with a child. And that was a big case. And it was the first kind of time before even the kind of like Catholic church scandal with the orphanage and stuff uh, happened. So it was completely shocking. And everybody was glued to the news to see what was going to happen to this guy. And uh, and so every time we go on a playground, and people are like, your father's a child molester. It's like, no, 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 someone who works with my father is allegedly a child. It's like, it's like you know, but it's like, on for you. And it's like, I'm not involved in this either at all, you know? Yeah. So it's like there's constantly these spotlights shining on, on me for no reason, you know, and right. trying to escape a prison yard, trying to make it across the prison yard. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like, oh, there he is. I'm like, I, 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 yeah. I'm up. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's bad enough. But then when these outside things come in, kind of nothing's surrounding. 
You were basically the me of uh, of St. John's. It was I was the uh, skinny, tall, black kid with the afro. It's like you're not walking by crowd people with people not noticing. They're not like, oh, he just blends into the crowd and he's going to get his ice cream sandwich like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, like who's that guy? Wait a second. Um, yeah. Tom uh, Tom Power was on the podcast last week, and I showed you yeah. a clip of uh, of him and I talking about your wedding, <laughs> and uh, what an amazing Tom it was. And Tom brought up a good point about. Um, when you go into the arts in general or people, anyone who, who loves what they do, he feels really fortunate that he found his group, his tribe of people that were yeah. also in the same kind of thing. And he said he often thinks about the people who never find their tribe, who never find yeah. a group that actually thinks the same way they do. Do you recall when you found your group where you went and like, oh, this is, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not, there's other people who think about the world like I do. And they, they, they're oh, also yeah. up for cracking jokes and making like, like tell us about that, that time for you, that phase. Well, that exact moment when it <clears> happened <throat> in, I would say May of 1990. Um, we, I was involved in drama in, uh, the 10th grade and there was these workshops in the summer for uh, by the spring for you know the drama festival one of them with Benny Malone was teaching a clowning workshop and there's this other guy named Stephen McGraw who uh, was in was in there too and we're both doing his clowning workshop and then you kind of had to improvise a scene and we start doing this thing and I'm kind of like oh he thinks like me okay this is funny this is, good. This is neat this is fun wow okay I kind of feel like I'm doing a sketch comedy or something and he says to me hey let's start a sketch comedy troupe I was like do I absolutely he was from a different school right so we met up so he didn't know anything about me <laughs> so he's like do you want to get and I'm like absolutely it's like oh this is a whole chance so then he knew two other guys from the school he went to Chad House and Greg Rex, who are kind of good looking popular guys, but are also interested in theater, but not that much, but would like to write some. Yeah. And, and Chad's dad, uh, parents had, uh, mom was involved in the arts. Yeah. And so Stephen had been in a comedy troupe before down at the LSPO Hall. He was kind of the downtown kid. Yep. And so he brought me down there. We rented out the LSPO Hall and we put off a show 11 o'clock at night. We had to sneak out of school to go uh, to go uh, uh, to, to put it off, you know, uh, to rehearse it and to set up our sets. And it was eleven o'clock at night, a cabaret, people drinking. I was in the tenth grade, and some sailors, some uh, Portuguese sailors or something, were down there, you know, like didn't really speak the language and were upset with the dancing girls in this show <laughs> because it's like the horrible dancers. It's like, sir, we're we're children doing sketch comedy. Please calm down. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so it was really weird, and I'm like, okay. And then I, I hadn't been hanging out downtown with, with the artsy crowd, and so mm -hmm. all of a sudden now I'm like, this whole other world opens up. And so I go to plays, and I'm, I'm performing, writing, and performing my own work when I was in the tenth grade, and that for me was like, okay, well, yeah, okay, this is why, this is what I'm supposed to be, okay, this is right. right, and then all, all through <clears throat> life, then you know, like. Uh, a lot of my best friends are, you know, entertainers or, you know, chefs or what have you. And they all have interesting things they do. And uh, it, 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 that world seems so alien to me. Like growing up where I did, I never thought for a second I'd even have an opportunity to do anything like that. 
Yeah. So, uh, and then all of a sudden, there you are doing it. And then my kids now, my son Jacob was kind of like he was interested in doing music. He's like, I think I do some music, you know. Uh, I'm going to go off and, you know, kind of start writing and producing music. So I'm like, oh, son, it's a hard go. You got to be careful. And so I'm going to fight. But I need to say, no, it's not. It's not rocking like we have Everybody I know, you know, who went off and do the arts and do whatever they want. We did what they really wanted to do. Like, they're all successful. They all have, you know, nice houses. And they all have a Oh, no, 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 no. You had the exact opposite <laughs> look. At, I was like, oh, you can't do that. It's impossible, you know? And yeah. he's like, well, yeah, you just go down the road and do it, apparently. And it's because everybody, everybody he knows that I know, that's what happened to him. Like, right. Oh, I'm going to start doing this. I'm like, Alan Doyle. Like, I'm going to start a band. It's the most successful new plan band ever. Yeah. Uh, my friend Jeremy Gerald was like, oh, it could be hockey or maybe a chef. I'm going to be, you know, a chef in Canada. Okay, great. And I was like, no, 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 it's not like that. <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. Very, odd group that we became friends you know but i think it's wonderful to have that's a gift to be able to give a child in a generation you you get to a place where they feel like you know they can follow the dreams right now a, a doubt uh, and that they should because learning from watching uh me i guess they they figured well uh like I mean, that's what i was told i said if you the trick to life. There's only one trick to happiness, in my opinion, and that is finding a passion, finding mm. something you love, even if you do it on the side. Yep. But you got to have something that you, when you're going, if you can find out how to do that for a job, you don't have to be a star. You don't have to be uh, the person on, like maybe you could be the camera person. Maybe you could do makeup. Maybe you could do sets. You could do whatever. But if you can find a way to be around something that you love, so that it doesn't matter if you're making a million dollars or a hundred dollars, you're still you have a reason to live, then you won life. Yeah. I, I know how hard it is for people to get that. I know not everybody has an opportunity. Most people don't even know what it is, what it is. but if, if, if there is something you're passionate about, you will live longer if, if you pursue it, I think. I agree. I think everyone has it. They just don't listen to it. I think they just, like yeah. you said, like when I was a kid, I remember going into a guidance counselor's office and it was like, well, Trent, based on your marks, it's either the uh, trade school. You might get into Grenfell. I mean, you, you got an average enough or whatever. Now, the military, that's also done around with seeing the world and, and maybe getting shot. And, uh, you know, I got nothing else for you or getting a job in the mill. Like <laughs> to think about entertainment or I mean, that was another planet like The Tonight Show, yeah. Carson, all that stuff. It was oh. just something in, in a box in your living room. That was not real life. It was not, you know, whereas I think now, I don't know if it's true or not, but I would hope that kids would see that there are far more possibilities with the Internet. And you can actually just Google do to do. And here's a school of music. Here's a school that could teach you acting or whatever. And at least you have that access. Whereas when we were growing up, I mean, all you had was what was in your universe that you could visually see every single day. So how how could you envision that this would be your life? I mean, it's impossible. Well, even if you go to that guy's counselor, I mean, you wouldn't even know where to go. Like, let's say, I want to be an actor. Okay. Right. What are the acting schools? And how do you even do that? Like, let's say you, it was a possibility. Now, that guy's counselor is standing between you and that goal. It's like, oh, I got to, there was a form around here for uh, Royal Shakespeare or something. I don't know where it is now, but military is a good, like, how thick are the fleshiest parts of your body? Like, <laughs> 
would something pass through it if it was shot at you, do you think, or would it lodge in? It's like, no, no, fuck, I just don't want to. I don't want to find out. I don't want to. Well, all right, all right, all right. Well, the Navy's a good thing. You mentioned drowning earlier. You like the Navy. And it's like, you know, but you had that somebody's like, yeah, yeah, well, let me let me show you how that would happen. And yeah. this is what you could do, and I'll talk to your parents. Like, those people are so few and far between because they didn't follow their passion. So now yeah. they're in a room going, I just said there's a pulp and paper mill down the road. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> exactly. You think I'm happy here in this room telling people to go work at the pulp and paper mill? Yeah. No, I'm not living my dreams. I want to be a dancer. I'm not Emma. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. There's a, there's a contagiousness to that, right, of people surrounding yourself with people who are also doing what they love to do. That also rubs off on you. But the, the opposite is also true. So when you're surrounded by people who are like, I'm stuck in this now for another 16 years, I hate it. Like you feel that every day too. And that is kind of like, well, maybe I am supposed to just get in line and do what everyone else is doing. Like you need, that's why I think finding that group is so important because you're like, you don't even think about money. I didn't, I didn't think about like how much I'm going to make or whatever. I was just like, this feels good to do. And I'm going to get paid some money to do it. Like when I first started, that was enough. I didn't think about stability or the future or anything. I just knew like tomorrow I got a gig or next week there's a show or I'm going to be in oh, this yeah. thing or I got this commercial. Like I didn't know anything else. There was no thought of who's hiring. I didn't know what, you know? Yeah, well, for me, it was like it was tough too because um, I became a dad at a fairly young age. I was 24. Yeah. And at that point, you're kind of like, oh, should probably go up, I guess. You know. Get something so sorted. See here. how long I keep this going. And so I you know, work like a dog. Like I would, I would write things, perform things, and write things for other people. Like do voiceover. Like whatever I could possibly do. Yep. I would do like eight different things to try and cobble together a living, and I was able to do it. But it was, it, at, there was a point. Like round time, I got twenty two minutes. So I was like, I should probably go stop this now and kind of try and do something like I didn't really make it or anything. I mean, I'm still like doing good and, you know, you're a big fish, small pond, you know, I performed office exclusively, like, you know, in Newfoundland and stuff, which was great. But I was kind of like, how much longer can I keep this going? You know? So I I was starting to get a little worried because I go something like something that you thought was going to happen, didn't happen. And then you're, Oh God, what else can I do? You know, yep. and without moving to a bigger center, which I didn't want to do, family and stuff. Um, you kind of hit, you kind of hit a plateau for for a while. Yep. Uh, and then twenty two came along, and then opened up this whole other kind of world of opportunity. You know, I remember going to just the last the first time before I was at uh, uh, twenty two minutes and stuff, and then seeing the size of that and then getting to be in a room and then seeing some of the best people in the world performing. And then you, you know, it sometimes working in a small place like that, you kind of get the sense of, okay, I got this down. All right, cool. I'm great. I can do anything. And you get there and you see somebody who's truly great. Yep. Huge level master of the craft. And you're like, Oh no, I don't know anything. Oh no, this is upsetting. Oh no, I thought I was great. You know, kind of like, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm the, uh, I'm the, I'm the best curler in all of Virginia. Yeah. Like, okay, great. You're the best curler in Virginia. Okay. Well, uh, 
playing Nova Scotia next weekend. Huh. Oh. They're all better than me. Like, until you get to the <laughs> next humble. place, you have no idea. It's very humbling, you yeah. know? And that's good. That's healthy. That's great, right? Yeah. To challenge yourself and set another goal and, and to not look at that as a negative thing. But I say, okay, all right, just look at it honestly, you know, because it can be soul crushing sometimes. But, you know, failures, just got to look at it honestly and go, okay, I wasn't doing my best. Or maybe that is my best. Yeah. But how do I ratchet that up to a bit better? I think one of the challenges of being in the, like in entertainment and performing arts in general is that a lot of people who leave the real world, they want to escape work per se. They want to go, I want to get away from a desk job or do whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think they're sometimes misled that there's not a level of work involved in being in entertainment. Like to me, the people who have made it and had a successful career and a long career, I guess is how I would say, rather than successful, just a long career. There's a tremendous amount of work that goes into it and a constant reinvention of yourself and taking chances and, you know, constantly, constantly grinding all the time. It's not enough to just do one thing and then sit back and go, well, I, I have that. I did that one thing once and now it's over. And I think there is a misconception that a lot of people believe. I think that, oh, you just it's all fun and, you know, whatever. Like our show, I love our show, but like it's a grind. There's a lot of work put into it. You at the end of a week, you're tired. It, it's and I think you would have learned that lesson fairly early, I would imagine, that like, oh, this is a job. Like, and not just 22, but like, if I'm going to be a performer, this is, I have to treat it like a job. Do you do you remember when that switch went on or was that related to just having kids early or where did the work well, ethic come having, from? Having kids, like when there's a human home and they're small and they're looking at you, it's, it, it's a great wake up uh, mechanism. You know, it's a real alarm clock, kind of like, you know, and the doctor's like, there you go. That's yours. Get some bad coffee. Come back. I'm going to give you stuff and then give you back the same child. It's like, what do I do? It's like, I don't know what most people do, man. I just hang on, you know. Figure it out. It'll be good for 90-something years. So it's going to be around. <laughs> this might bury you. You know, it's like, you buy, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, children, uh, you know, uh, children are like, you know, a spice you buy at Costco if they will outlive you in most scenarios, right? So, like, they're just, right. it's going to be with you forever. And so, like, you go, oh, no. So when I got this uh, job at 22, I, I took it very seriously, worked very hard, because I was like, okay, well, this is a shot. Like, yeah. And I think everybody in the business, you know, you'll get a shot at some point time or at something, you know? It's question is, are you ready for it when you get it, right? Yeah. So, you know, you can never really stop preparing or, or being in, you know, ready because um, kind of the second you give up, I find it's often the time that things happen, you know, you get an opportunity. And so I was just, you know, I would go in and my first week on the show, we used to take three live sketches. And I came in, I was there for a two-week trial. And I wrote three sketches and they picked all three of mine to get made. Wow. And then two of them bombed and one of them worked. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get fired. Right. There's two of these sketches. And they're like, no, we, we're, we only, we overshoot. We only want to walk in. I was like, oh, okay. So it was like constantly like up, down, <laughs> yeah, worry, yeah. panic, fear. Oh, no. And it's like, okay, we're going to send you on the road. Oh, good. That's a good, unless I ruin that and it's bad, then what would happen? Well, we won't send you on Oh right. no! <laughs> you know, so I was like, I was like, that went well, great. It went so well. We're gonna see. Yeah. Oh, good. 
we're going to sell well, we're going to send you out again. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, so it's always like. Yeah. Well, it's, the, it's, the, of, old, it's the old person worry again, right? It's the same yeah. thing. Same thing. Same thing. Good. You're like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, God, this is working out. This is horrible. <laughs> oh, it's no. working out. Oh, no. You know? Yeah. And it's that kind of a thing, right? They so believe in me. Oh, yeah. no. oh God, help me. <laughs> so it's like, uh, but it's, it's great, you know? And then there was that constant worry every year, like it's going to go back. Are you going to be asked back? Are you? Going to... I remember, yeah. remember, like after two weeks on the show, going in to see Mark Barrow, the producer, and it was a two week trial. But nobody really come in and said, "Okay, you're coming back next week," because everybody's going to get so busy, you know. Yeah. And it was busy back then. There's like four of us right after that. And so the uh, I go, uh, oh, so it's the end of my two weeks. Um, should I fly home? No, no, oh, you. Fine. No, just, you're fine. And then you go back to a call. I'm like, okay, thanks. Well, I'm fine for another two weeks, I guess. And then another two weeks, like, am I still okay? And then I'm like, yeah, 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 you're good, you're good, you're good. Yeah, Mark, don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, you know, and then I remember one time going, and he's like, stop asking, okay? You you got the job, you're fine. Right. Don't like, let don't let anyone know you're here. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Well, that would be the thing. I, I, I remember sitting there going like, should I go ask if I still have this job or should I just come back on Monday? Yeah. I remember yeah. thinking that, you know? Yeah. Come back on Monday. And it's like, you know, when looking back, you're fine. But you're just. You don't know in the moment. Just, you don't know. You have no idea. You know? No. And I remember being nervous. And I remember. Here's a sad sack story. I remember being, you know, didn't have a lot of cash back then, boy. And uh, being a dad, and I remember getting here and going to the mall the night before my job, my first day. And I realized, oh my God. I brought like my best shirt and everything. But like my shoes were pretty beaten up. So I went and bought a pair of uh, these slip-on shoes at uh, Payless or whatever that shoe store is. And I just did it really quickly and got a size 11. I had to go back, and, you know, because I was going to write and whatever. And But I, got, I was walking into work, and then I realized my first day, I realized the shoes were too big. They're like a half a size too big. And there was so much, they kept flying off my feet. And I was like, oh, God, no. And it's like, you're so broke that your shoes are the wrong size, you know? It's like yeah. Charlie Chaplin, basically. I'm walking in. I remember walking across the uh, CBC park lot. A couple of camera guys were outside smoking. I was walking like, hello! And my shit just flies off my foot. <laughs> and I go chase it, you know? And then put it back on. And then now, like, like there's nothing happening. Like, fellas? And then, like, walking into the building, going up these little steps. And then, and it flies off again. It hits the glass. And I was like, oh, no, no. And then going into a bathroom. Like, is there a washroom here? Like, oh, yes, right there. And just getting uh, tissue paper and jamming it in the toe of my shoe. And then walking very slowly, you know? Yeah. And walking in. And, and then, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, month from the wrong size shoes there yeah and, and just going around and and it's like you know talk about having you know shoes to fill yeah. uh, it's like i have my own shoes to fill <laughs> that's right but it's, it's yeah so it, it's it's <clears throat> then like trying to act like you belong it's very much like going back to school now everybody was very welcoming and yeah. it was all going fine but it's all these things that happen in your own head right yeah and, and you can't be in a meeting with people in the wrong size shoes and think about anything else that i'm wearing the wrong size shoes <laughs> that's true yeah it's so true i remember it's funny because like my when i joined the show i remember your advice to me was kind of like 
like this is all moving at the speed of light. So like whether you think you had a great week or a, or a bad week, it's like it doesn't matter. It's like you're already on to the next week. And I often think about that when people watch the show. We've made it the previous week. We've already started making the next week's show yeah. by the time it airs. There's no time to either celebrate any kind of victory or great work you've done or if you feel like you had a rough week. Like, it just doesn't matter. And that goes for writers and everybody on the show in general. Like, that's – I think people who are not part of the show, like, you don't – nothing really can prepare you for this. Like, this is just the speed at which things happen, the mental toughness you have to develop over time of things not being precious and things are slashed and cut and that sketch is no more and that joke is out or whatever, but you just roll on to the next week, you know? Like, did you – do you remember that transition for yourself or did you find it, it was that a fairly easy thing for you or did you go like, oh, I got to, I got to kind of accept that that's the way things are. Well, the writer's room was, was rough. Cause like there's four of us, plus some of the cast wrote, like Mary wrote a lot, Greg wrote a lot. So dude, you were trying to get stuff on. It was yeah. a big thing, right? So you might have a good week. And, and then we would call the write the read where we rate all the sketches that people write and the producers decide what to make. And for people watching, it's like, this is the first time anybody's heard this material, right? So if you don't know if it's gonna work or not, but people are sitting around the table reading. And we used to call it in the writer's room, we used to call it the humilitorium. <laughs> because you'd have something, and we don't know who wrote what. And if something bombed, like people would be like, you know, it's not like it is now. Like back in those days, people would say things like, good God, that was horrible. Or man, that stunk, you know, jokingly. <laughs> But then you'd be like, and and then when yours came up, I was like, oh god, how's this gonna go? And then, but once that was done, whatever sketches we picked, it'd be great if you got something in, and if not, but then we also had to write the desk jokes and the leads. We used to watch the news and what and tape it, and then take that cassette and get the um, if you wanted a clip of the prime minister saying, I'm an idiot. Then you'd have to get the time code, take that, go over here, put this on the tape, edit it in, da da da. You just do all that yourself. Like it wasn't like computers and stuff, right? So um, you were immediately like, "Oh, I'm really upset that the sketch I wrote didn't get in." Yeah, where's your ten desk jokes? Hmm? Oh, right. And so it's a good thing because like it's you you let that go, and then now with the show, and that has never really gone away because even like the show there uh, last week. I guess watching like, oh, it's a pretty good show. I had an interview with the prime minister, and that was good. And these things, and it's like, great, that went well. Good night. What the hell am I going to do tomorrow morning for the ideas meeting? Like, right. it's so it's it's there is no, it's it, it's just it just it's, it's and that's great because yeah. I think a lot of time artists we can be a bit precious about stuff. It's like, I remember one time, like you know, a new writer might come in and we'd be like. Actually, I think this does work, and here's why. Oh, no. <laughs> that, that is dead now, right? It's dead, in the right? garbage. Yeah. Yeah, it's gone. Like, that's not coming back. Like, well, I thought it was good. Like, oh, you're not going to last. No. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you, you had to let it go, because if not, first of all, nobody cares. Secondly, um, yeah. it'll eat you up inside, right? Yeah. And, but that's great. If that teaches you to, somebody saying that's not good enough, even though you might think it's great. Um, you everything you can all it, it might not be good enough it might be great for you but that's the show isn't you right the show right. is its own thing right it's it had you had to get in in that box that's what the show is so it takes people a while to figure that out i think yeah and go like okay maybe this is great for your own stand-up or something but not what the show is it doesn't fit yeah so one of the things people know you the you're probably one of the some of the most well-known for is just 
your interviews with guests, right? So you mentioned the prime minister, you've interviewed, I mean, hundreds of people over the years. What is your approach to that? When you're sitting down with someone, you're like, okay, I'm going to have guest X uh, on a Monday. What is your approach to that? What What are you looking to do? I mean, obviously you want to get laughs, obviously, but like, is there, what's your preparation for that? It depends, you know, sometimes like we had this, it's different, like when you're in person doing like a road piece, the way that used to be was that, you know, Mary or someone would go up to the person and kind of do a monologue at them right? while they're there, almost like, a, you know, they're there, but it's not really an interview. So that was the early days of the show and those, those were all brilliant the way she did those, but that was her style. Like my style was always like, I always wanted to talk to the person more and right. make it more of a conversation hear something back and see if I could top it. That was more of my kind of style. Um, so over the years, I got to do more of that. And in person interviews, it's way different because you, you get to form a different kind of relationship with the person. You get to see like these politicians and you get to see them. They're a bit nervous or maybe they've had a bad day. It's just, it reveals a lot. The before the interview to me is always the most important time because you set a tone yep. and you, and it reveals a lot. I remember one time we went up to do a piece with Paul Martin and we waited in the prime minister's office. And that was the day this big sponsorship scandal thing happened where um, it kind of all came out about uh, John Cretchen and then this big liberal sponsorship scandal thing that had happened and it was blown up in the house. Peter McKay is throwing paper in there and like, this is a scandal and all this stuff. And meanwhile, we were, I was watching in the house, speaker's gallery going, and then the guy's like, okay, Prime Minister's just finished your question period. I'm going to bring you to his office to set up. We're sitting in there. It's like, it's probably the worst day of this guy's life, right? right. Like he has to deal with this. And, sitting there, and he walks in and he has this look on his face. It's the most kind of distraught I've ever seen on a human face, to be honest with you. It's just like this guy is like, he feels screwed, right? It's not even him who did the screw. He was screwed by Kretchen on the way out, and he had tried to push Kretchen out. So you can see all this playing on his face. And he looks up at me and he's like, there's a clown in my office. And we're waiting, and I thought before, we like, go behind the prime minister's desk and pretend I'm opening the doors. So I just make, the cam- make Pete the camera guy laugh and stuff. So he walks in. I'm actually behind his desk, like going like, <laughs> we lock eyes. I'm like, <laughs> but then the piece we had was very the silly big musical thing, and I was just like, you know, look, man, just have fun. This is gonna happen anyway. So yeah, go have on. fun, you know. Yeah. And he went with it. and It was great, and uh, and it's just about reading people. And then another time, like when we were Tom McCare, leader of the NDP, he had lost and he had been pushed out as leader. And um, it lost the election, and nobody could find him. Nobody could get an interview. And I got in touch with them. I was like, why don't you just do something fun? Like, that's just, like, look, you, you have to make a first uh, appearance back before the public after this huge loss. Why not make it kind of funny? Like, why not take a piss out of yourself? So I got him. So everybody's like, where's Tom Mulcair? It was all the headlines. I'm like, I found him. And uh, he was just, dressed like Drake doing the dance from the uh, <laughs> on the telephone. And, uh, and it was just silly. But you see this guy and he had just, he was, just, you know, once again, he's just at the bottom, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I find it interesting in those moments because you, it's, you have to find a way in to get them to play, right? Yeah. 
And, and in those scenarios, like sometimes you're all like, oh, blah, 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 you're a bad person. And that's just a time and place for that. Well, other times it's kind of like, come on, come here. Let's, let's, yeah. let's deal with it this way. Now, the, the, the other ones, the ones like this, I mean, I find those a bit tougher to make the connection. Yeah. Uh, but um, and, because, and because now it's it, everything has been, it's shorter, right? Yeah. So this is just somebody who phoned in you haven't talked to before probably. And so you just kind of have to go with it. But I, it, it, topical, I find, is best. Like if there's something going on in the moment, that people are interested in. If they can find out about what's going on mm-hmm. in that interview. If they can laugh and leave it more educated than when it started, probably something that they never would have looked into uh, to begin with. Yep. Then I kind of feel like I did my job. Yep. You know? And if that person is, you know, maybe they're whoever I'm talking to. If, if I, well, I like it if they leave, kind of go and like maybe if they laugh, or if they're like, oh, I can't believe you asked that. What a jerk. But they're still like, but overall, it was a good thing, right. you know. Yeah, you know, it's like I try to leave it on a positive note generally. Right? <clears throat> well, that's something you do, people don't think about often too. If you're doing one of those, like, and I've I've done a bunch too, but it's like they're also worried, right? Like they don't know what we have planned. They are yeah. walking in blind. They kind of are trying to get a feeler for like, okay, well, what's this about? What's the angles? But ultimately, they don't really know. Um, so if you put yourself in their shoes, you can appreciate that they would be, especially, you know, in politics, you're going to be a little guarded. You don't want to say the right thing. You don't want this to be a viral clip now that the the opposition is going to use against you. You know, yeah. so it, it's, you know, there's always that guardedness. There's tensions going on. There's topics right now that are contentious issues. And then, you know, we walk in with like, hey, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a, we're looking for a piece. And, and you know? Some get mad, you know, like like if you look at Trudeau, like he's he's been the most easygoing guy. Like I've done everything with him. But he's also gotten his back up more than anybody else, right? Like I brought this joint into his office. He was very upset about that and didn't want that into peace and uh <laughs> demanded it be taken out. They wouldn't talk to me for a year. We'll go wouldn't talk to me for a year. Right. And then another time uh <laughs> he was running uh he had we had kind of made up and he'd be back on the show and all this stuff and then i went to interview him and i thought it'd be funny if i tried because he was all over the place and he had done like the aga khan secret island and all this stuff and the interviews like you know well we gotta keep track of our prime minister so for some reason i thought it'd be funny to put like a, a cat bell on him like a little necklace <laughs> now i don't know if you've ever tried to put a pussy cat bell around a neck of the G7 leader. Well, he didn't, he didn't want that to happen. And then he was kind of like, oh, no. And I was kind of going, yes, you're. No. And then I got my back up. Like, oh, you're too good to have a cat fella. You know what I mean? It's not two of us are doing this, right? Or I'm wrestling it, right? And Mounties are looking. And Pete, my camera guy, I see Pete like looks away from the lens. Oh, it's like, like okay, what are you doing? <laughs> my guest has been the front you know? <laughs> And then afterwards, it's dead quiet, and he's like not happy, right? And then I had I had these pictures of him and me from when I had my shirt off on Signal Hill behind him. That someone had asked me to sign for a a, a, a children's hospital silent auction and asked me if I could get the prime minister to sign it too. So I'm like, by the way, I've got three pictures here uh, for a children's hospital auction. Will you sign them? He's like. Yeah. Good. Yep. We go. What did I do? Like, what was? What am I doing with my life? 
you know, I'm in my 40s, and this is what it's come to. And anyway, it was just a weird thing, right? But sometimes you're like, oh, I'm going to get the guy or whatever. And it's just, it just was not, you know, and yeah. that was not even a thing, you know, it didn't even work. Uh, but yeah, so you, 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 it's a weird thing to do. It really is a weird thing to do. When you stop and think about what you're doing. Yeah. It's weird. You know, you know what I mean. <clears throat> well, that's what I mean. I, I, that's what I was going to end on here. Actually, I said, I've had moments, whether it's on the show or performing in general, and I go like, you have these moments of like, this is my job. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think about some of the careers people have out there and, you know, somebody's digging a ditch right now, you know, and it's yeah. minus 25 and they're like, I got to get to that pipe there in the bottom or whatever. And, you know, and wearing wigs and makeup and beards and we're interviewing people and you're trying to get a cat bell on the prime minister. Like, it's... It's surreal. And of course, that guidance counselor could never have told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you should do, Mark. Um, how fast are you, like, putting something around someone's neck? Huh? <laughs> I'll just, hangman. You could be a hangman. That's what adoption. Or you, or, or, or you could be a political clown. <laughs> I think, <laughs> exactly. But I think that's one of the things I've, I've learned from you over the years is just that is to be appreciative of it. Like this is, again, all things are temporary. It's like, you know, knock on wood is, you know, long live 22 and stuff, but just to perform for a living and to do this and to be able to pay your bills. And, you know, I mean, it, it is, I do catch myself sometimes going like, yeah, wow. Like how fortunate, you know, to be doing this, um, for a living considering where I came from, where you came from, you know, and I, I don't know if you ever sit back in those moments and just go like, wow, like this was, none of this was promised to me, you know? Oh, I often think about it. My great, great grandfather was a whaler who drowned. My great grandfather was a fisherman who drowned. My grandfather died of tuberculosis when my dad was five. And he was a, uh, he had been down building skyscrapers in New York as a welder and came back. He died of TB. And then, so dad grew up before Confederation. They were dirt poor, fatherless during the depression and everything. And uh, and then he got a job in radio and he had a good career, but still, you, you know, and then worked really hard to get up and, and, and to have that career. And then I, I've been able to do this, you know? Right. And uh, it's, yeah, I, I never forget how incredibly fortunate I am to be able to do what I do for a living. And also the great thing about this job is to be able to be around and kind of watch history happen as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to be around some pretty interesting moments. Um, you have to travel the world. I mean, this job has brought me to, to China, to Afghanistan, to Jordan, like all kinds of places I would never expect to be. And the other great thing about this job is you get to travel the country, which is something almost all Canadians don't get to do, right? You know, Canadians yeah. will go to Florida before they'll go to the next province, right? So you get a good sense of what this place is, and it, and it is, has a lot of faults, but it's still a, a pretty great place to live. So uh, yeah, I'm eternally grateful for, for what we get to do. For sure. Well, dude, um, I'll see you tomorrow at work. Um, yeah, if, if I don't see you in the hallway throwing out garbage. In the elevator. <laughs> Yeah, like I could literally lean out that window probably and see you right now. So if I needed is, uh, a cup of sugar, I, you could literally toss it down to, to down the window there. So Yeah, the wonder of technology, keeping us farther apart together. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right, dude. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. My right. pleasure. Bye.
Yeah, there it is. Great conversation with my good buddy, Mark. Um, I hope you enjoyed that one. Share it around in the world uh, to people. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to uh, write a review if you can. And uh, I appreciate all the support out there. This coming week, as of right now, um, I am going to have an actual doctor on the podcast to talk a little bit about health, about his journey as well, but also um, about health in general and also this whole COVID thing that has got the world turned upside down. Um, so if you want to you can go on my social media or you can email me at Trent at Trent'sComedy.com. If you have questions, maybe I'll grab a couple of your questions and ask the good doctor when I do that sit down, um, when I do that interview this week. So anyway, thanks again. Have a fantastic week. Hope all is well with you. Be safe, be smart. And uh, I'll see you next week on the Generators Podcast.